0: Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It's me, your host, Dave Wakeman. My guest today is Mark Hirschberg, the author of The Career Toolkit. This is the second time we recorded it because on my end, I had a system collapse. So for the first time ever, I lost a couple podcast episodes. Uh, So Mark was willing to come back and do this again, and we had another great conversation. Um, I thought it was really important to bring Mark on because... The Career Toolkit is a guide to professional and self-development uh, that is probably more important for a lot of people now than it has ever been. And w- so we get into a bunch of stuff. We get into the idea of positioning yourself. Um, you know, we get into networking, communications, leadership. Um, you know, how this crisis, the, the combined crisis of economic uh collapse due to the pandemic, the public health crisis of the pandemic, has led us to a point where change is so fast and so furious now that we have no recourse except for to rethink how we're dealing with life. Um, We talk about uh, mindset. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about relationships. We talk about what good networking looks like versus what bad networking looks like. We talk about leadership. We talk about um The classic leadership question of, was Hitler a good leader? We talk about ethics. Aspirational leadership versus positional leadership. Um, Communications and why communications is for the receiver, the person on the listening end, and not for you, the person getting the message across. We talk about the differences between left brain and right uh, right brain thinking and how that impacts communication styles. We talk about negotiation. We talk about why I'm the person that my family calls when they want to negotiate a new car or a big purchase. We talk about, you know, the exponential compounding impact of professional development. And we get into a few ideas about Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., and Greta Thunberg. Um, Check out Mark's book, The Career Toolkit. There's an app. There's a website. There's resources. This is a great conversation. Um, And I hope you dig it. So without anything else from me, and so I don't mess up and lose this track again, here is my conversation with Mark Hirschberg on the Business of Fun podcast. Before we get to my conversation with Mark, I'd like to remind you to sign up for my weekly newsletter, Talking Tickets, five stories from the week with some analysis, some action items, a whole lot of fun. You can get it at talkingtickets.substack.com. That's talkingtickets.substack.com or by sending me an email at dave at davewakeman.com. I'll get you into that. Make sure you check out my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. That's bookingprotect.com. As Simon told me, since tickets have started to go back on sale more frequently since the pandemic, uptake on refund protection has jumped to almost double what it was before. So that means that people are looking for security and peace of mind in their purchase. So hook up with the people at Booking Protect at BookingProtect.com. Find out if you can offer your your customers refund protection. And visit my friends at ActivityStream to check out their new email marketing tool. It's great, ActivityStream.com. Now, here's my conversation with Mark Hirschberg on the business of fun. I'd like to welcome Mark Hirschberg to the Business of Fun podcast. Mark, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Let me go ahead and fall on my sword here because we're re-recording this because I completely screwed up. So, um, But it's great because now I have a chance to refresh our conversation and I uh, really appreciate you being so um, understanding of my mishap. Uh, and I'm excited to talk to you again because we had a lot of fun that nobody's ever going to know about the first time. So it's great.
1: And it's going to be twice as good the second time around.
0: See, this is the spirit. This is the spirit. The The book you wrote is called The, Tare- the Career Toolkit, and it's, um, it's a really great resource. It's a fantastic book, um, you know, because I think that my audience is probably in need of something like this right now. And to not give the whole thing away, even though we'll talk about the app that you created that basically gives the whole thing away at the start, um, The book focuses on leadership, communications, and negotiations um, and how important those are to people as they are developing their career. Coming out, coming through the pandemic, knowing that you wrote the book, you know, before the pandemic or as with the pandemic was just unfolding, you know, is there anything about the book that seems even more relevant to you now?
1: Well, certainly these skills they come from research that's happened over the past few decades these are the skills that people need to be successful they are universal evergreen skills but in a time of crisis in a time of change which is certainly what we're going through now these skills matter more because during this change time when you have the skills you can better capitalize on opportunities and if you don't have them you're going to miss out so i i think it's universally relevant but we have certain opportunities throughout our career to better apply them, and we're at one of those times right now.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, change is constant, right? Uh, but radical change, I think, is what we're dealing with right now. And how do I want to put the question, though, so I don't sound completely like I don't know what I'm talking about, which is always the danger when you're talking to me. Um you know, you know, how do you teach people? Because one of the things that really, uh, when we first started going back and forth was that you're a professor and you're a teacher. You know, how do you teach people to cope with change in an environment like we're dealing with right now? Typically
1: with these skills, they're not taught the way we teach most knowledge. Most of what we've learned in school, it's about memorizing a formula, memorizing a process knowing how to replay some chords on a particular instrument. And that's rote memorization. There's lots of good things about rote memorization. That's how we got our core knowledge. But when it comes to these skills, it's not memorization. You can't memorize three steps to be a great communicator. There's no formula for being a great leader or how to network. And it's changing the mindset. It's changing how people view and approach these particular opportunities. And once you get that mindset change, it becomes much easier to recognize the opportunities and to continue to develop in that process. So throughout the teaching I've done over two decades, and what I do in the book, is really focus on changing the mindset. And then once that mindset has shifted, then we say, here are the tips and techniques you can use. And that helps people really progress in developing these skills.
0: The mindset thing... It sticks with me, too, because one of the things, so I have, I guess my son turned 11 last week. So I have an 11-year-old now, and he's a picky eater like a lot of kids at probably that age are. And one of the things his pediatrician talked to us about was exposure therapy. And when you're talking about changing a mindset, especially in an environment that is um, really radical change, Uh, You know, I guess that's going to be the term I'll use today. But where where change is just sort of overwhelming and like super constant, you know, how do you help people understand how to change their mindset to take like the first steps? Because maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't have to be some like super um, like you blow up everything you've done in the past is uh, when you talk about changing mindset, is is it radical or is it just a step by step process?
1: It's often a small change. Going to my background, which is in the sciences, there's a technique we often used in solving physics problems. Now, I'm sure most of the listeners probably never want to deal with physics, so humor me for a moment. In physics, sometimes we'd get a difficult problem, and the technique we would use is to rotate the coordinate space. Now, it just applied a mathematical transform, and literally, it's like rotating the paper, and you look at it at a 30 degree angle and the math suddenly becomes easier. If you do this, if you do that small change, all of a sudden the problem gets reframed in a different way that becomes much more tractable. So let's take a specific example. When the pandemic started, I heard so many people say, oh, that's it, no more networking, right? I can't go out, I can't meet people, I can't network. Well, let's reframe how you should look at networking because many people have correctly said, I hate the going out, you meet 10 people in 20 minutes and walk away with 10 business cards, and that feels kind of icky. What real networking is, it is about building relationships. When you think about who is going to help you, who's going to Come help you pack up your apartment and move. Who's going to loan you money? Who's going to give you a connection to someone who's really important, and has very little time, but this person's going to open the door for you? It's not someone you met last week for two minutes and got a business card from. It's someone who you've known for five, ten years. It's a good friend. It's someone where you have a longstanding relationship. So when we change the mentality From I have to go and collect business cards to I develop and build solid relationships with people. Well, then when we look at the pandemic, okay, I'm not going out meeting strangers collecting cards. But what can I do? Well, I'm no longer commuting to a job. So what if I take some of that time? I would have been in my car or on the subway and I have a virtual coffee with someone. I'm going to catch up. In fact, it got Even better, there's a silver lining here, because when we think about that networking, we all think about, okay, right, you meet someone for coffee. Not only do I have more time, but we usually, we've traditionally done that with people in the same city as us. It's hard to meet for coffee someone 300 miles away. And if you had asked in 2018, would you like to meet for a virtual coffee? Someone said, what are you talking about? That's weird, right? (laughs) But that became normal. So we could use this time to develop our relationships, not just locally, But remote, countrywide, worldwide, and when you reframe networking from I have to collect a bunch of business cards and add to my address book to I need to build relationships and that comes from interacting with people, all of a sudden we saw opportunities where other people saw limitations.
0: Yeah, I think – she should be familiar to my audience. I know, I believe she's familiar to you, is Dory Clark. And Dory had a good example of how all of a sudden she throws these great um, dinner parties in New York City. I've been, uh, I've met some really great people at them. And she all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, couldn't have dinner parties in New York City anymore. So instead, she did virtual like happy hours and she would invite people from all over the world. And it was like a great thing. And it's exactly what you're talking about here, it's like reframing the thing, focusing on the value, and just trying to create something that's like a little more authentic and engaging for people. And I, I don't think that there's any limit to that because that collecting business card thing, I live in D.C., it happens all the time. And it's very sleazy even. It, 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 it's no wonder people have a negative impact and they think that people don't want to network with them because they come to it like in a very self-serving sort of, uh, you know, not.
1: So you cut out a second.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. No, I yeah, I was just. Did you hear about the? Part uh, where they I...
1: they come to it in a very self-serving, not something.
0: Yeah, uh, not authentic way. Yeah, or not valuable way. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, you know, so... and
1: there's another there's another mental shift we can do with networking, which is when you network, so many people think. I'm going to network to get something, right? When do most people think to network? Oh, I need a job. I'm going to go network. They show up when they say I need. But if we do a mental shift, do you want as a friend, someone who says, hi, nice to meet you. Give me, give me, give me. Or do you want as a friend, you want that new relationship to start with. Hi, nice to meet you. Hey, can I be of help, right? When we start networking, by saying, I'm going to meet people and think about how can I help them? What can I offer? Not what can I take? You create much better relationships. People are much more likely to engage with you. And you're going to start off with a very positive relationship instead of nice to meet you. I need your help.
0: That's absolutely right. I mean, I know we didn't touch this the first time we talked, but that's sort of the way that this podcast started was because it was a way for me to share my audience with other people and let them teach people about all the cool experiences they have or all the knowledge they they want to share and they don't have a chance to always share it or to talk about really cool projects that they're working on or new examples and new ideas. And it became this really great tool for me to say, to start relationships by saying, hey, let me help you promote something or let me help you get a wider exposure for your ideas because they're awesome. And it's, um, you know, it's a really powerful tool. People love it when you start out by helping them.
1: Absolutely. Even to tie this back to Dory, I actually threw a number of social events pre-pandemic. And yes, they were enjoyable for me, but half of the joy was bringing people together and having them meet each other. It wasn't just about what they could bring to me and, oh, look, I have a fun party with friends. It's about having them meet each other and gaining enjoyment and value from that. So always think about giving, and that's going to help foster those relationships.
0: Yeah, and I know now we're going to run the risk of beating this horse to death, but that's okay. We're going to do this. Uh, one of the great things that people ask me, they go, well, if you're always connecting people and you're always like, out there giving and doing these things, doesn't it somehow not benefit you? And I go, no, because what I've done and by bringing all these people together or helping people find and see these new opportunities is that when they think of things, the the first reaction is to think about me, right? And the almost every time that reaction they have is positive because what have I done? Oh, I hooked them up with like somebody, I connected them with someone who became a, a A a business contact or a new client or, you know, help them get a job or something. I mean, how is that not, you know, both mentally healthy, but also healthy for my business, just healthy for everything about what I do. And to me, that sounds like that's the way that people should be approaching their networking.
1: Absolutely right. And it's also things that might be easy for you, Maybe harder or more valuable for someone else. So it's not always a linear cost. What is a big lift to someone, right? Helping someone get a job, for example, that's huge, right? How important is it to find a job? How much effort? But if you just pick up the phone, make an introduction, make a connection, that doesn't cost you much in terms of time or effort, but has a massive impact. So it's not always a one-for-one linear exchange. And when you can just go out and help people, you're generating all this great goodwill and value. I think of networking like karmic; it's going to come back to you.
0: Right. It's also a great tool for brand building because every interaction people have with your brand, it's either adds or subtracts. And so, if you keep helping and doing positive things, it really it just keeps building who you are. And that you know, I, I hate the term because it gets again probably gets used poorly but having a brand a personal brand and doing good stuff really adds up and and as you're you're trying to reinvent your career or think through your career now having those positive interactions and those positive um, chips on your side can be a really great tool to stand out in a market that's going to probably be crowded with competition for jobs or career opportunities well said (laughs) now I'm going to shift gears a little bit here because I have a question that I know that we talked about the last time um, that was, I still remember this because I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation. And I'm going to ask you right now, though, what's Hitler a good leader? Because isn't that like the kind of um, test question for a lot of leadership thinking?
1: This is the classic leadership question. And it comes down to, we can look at certain things Hitler did he took a country that was demoralized, that was not functioning well, and lifted the country up. Right? He got Germany into functionally a better place, but of course did so in a way that paralleled or that uh, was part and parcel to doing incredible harm to people, to the world as a whole. And so the question is, does ethics really play into it? Can you say, well, they did, these people, these leaders who did unethical things, can we give them credit for being a good leader, even if what they did in modern ethics looks bad? And I personally think we cannot separate ethics from leadership. I think we really need to keep them together. It's why one of the chapters in my book is on ethics because too often, ethics is an afterthought. And if we leave as an afterthought, if we leave it as, let's do the best thing, let's do what we think is right, and oh, we'll figure out later if it's ethical, and if not, tweak it. We wind up in bad situations, and especially as we produce more tools and technology at a much more rapid pace, and they expand quickly into our society and world, there is a potential for significant harm if we don't keep ethics as a core part of our business thinking. So I would argue we absolutely have to keep ethics as part of our leadership valuation. And by that metric, Hitler may have been effective at things, but he was definitely not a good
0: leader. Right. And, and that brings up a interesting concept that I know that is probably I know you explored in depth in in the book is which is leadership is not good or bad. It's a tool, and so you can have you can be a good or a bad leader. And like you, you we use with the example of Hitler, you can be effective, but good or bad is a value judgment. And, but the leadership is a tool, and it can go both ways. And the way that I think about it, and I know I think this is similar to the way you do, is that leadership. Um, you know, there's. The positional leadership, which is authority based, and then there's influential leadership, which is um, visionary and it you know it kind of highlights people and points people towards a brighter, better future. Um, can you explain that a little bit more for us?
1: The traditional view of leadership for people who haven't spent much time thinking about is that the leadership there is that leadership comes from their position. That's where their authority comes from. You have a title, you have a role, and that role entitles you to certain powers. For example, as a chief technology officer, I can hire or fire people. I can assign the budget to buy certain things and not other things. We think about the military. A senior officer says, do this. They give an order. And the enlisted men say, yes, sir. And they do it because they have to. But that is not true leadership. When we think about good leaders, when we think about some of the best leaders of the 20th century, people like Martin Luther King or Gandhi, these are men who had no authority. They could not command people and say, do this because I said so. Instead, they inspired people. They said, here is what we are working towards. Here is the future state that we envision come with me, and together we can do this. And millions, tens of millions of people followed these men because of their influential leadership, because they inspired them and convinced them, not through threats, not through power, but through influence to come and join this movement. And that is what true leadership is. Now, of course, when we are in a senior position, we have both. Yes, I can still fire people on the spot. That's not going to make me a great leader. If everyone under me knew, well, Mark just says, do it because I say so, they're not going to want to work for me. Instead, I use that authority only when I have no other choice. And I always try to convince them, well, we should do this because, right? I try to influence people and not just wield my authority. And only if I have no other options, that's where the authority comes in.
0: Yeah, as you were giving the examples of MLK and Gandhi, I thought about a really great example that's contemporary right now is Greta Thunberg and her leadership around uh, the climate crisis and global warming and the impacts uh, that humans are having on the environment. And the way she is, she might be 17 now, um, you know, where she has a tremendous influence globally, but she has absolutely no positional power. And, and, and so I was like sticking to that because my son was learning about her in school this week. And I was like, going, well, that's really cool that they're teaching her about or teaching him about, you know, someone like her, you know, and that I think it sets a good example for people, even, um, you know, that you don't always have to have the, the ability to fire somebody that you can make change happen. And that leads into this idea that you talk about a lot, which is communications. Um, communications as the, um, you know, it's, you, ha- you give it a, a very specific framework, I believe, as like, um, you know, that we all have a certain communication model that, that we do best. Um, can you talk to us about how you approach communications and how people as they're, you know, again, we're talking about people trying to reestablish their careers or advance their careers? You know, w- what should they be looking at to make their communications effective?
1: Now, communication, like any of the 10 topics I cover in the book, can in of itself be not even just a single book, but multiple books. You can read 20 books on communication, and they all say something completely different because it's such a broad field. As you noted, I focus on a particular fundamental aspect of communication, and that is how we think, because ultimately, communication is designed to take the idea in our head and transfer it to the head of someone else. And to do this effectively, we have to understand basically our headspace, our mental models. So here's a very simple way to look at. Let's take a really basic case. Let's think of someone who is extremely left-brained and someone who's extremely right-brained. Now, if I want to pitch an idea to this left-brained person, someone who's left-brained, he's going to be extremely logical, extremely organized, right, have uh, just step-by-step process. So the way I'm going to pitch this idea to him is I'm going to say, okay, here is my you know, 20-point plan and each point has three sub-points and we're going to go step-by-step and I'm going to show you how each one ties together and then after looking at every little detail, it's going to come together and I'm going to convince you this is why my idea makes sense. If I took this approach to someone who is right-brained, extremely right-brained. And I said, you're going to sit through a you know 20-slide presentation. Each slide's going to have multiple sub-points. But don't worry. By the end, it's all going to come together. You just have to pay attention to each little detail. The extreme right-brained person is going to say, oh, my God, I'm going to tune out by slide two. This is not how I engage. A right-brained person, they are a lot more holistic. A right-brained person tends to be more emotional in terms of their thinking. I don't mean making emotional responses, but they engage on an emotional level. And so when I want to sell the idea to someone who's extremely right-brained, I'm going to pitch that big vision. I'm going to sell it emotionally. I'm going to connect it on a personal level. I'm going to talk about the people. I'm going to talk about the change and the impact and the future and not about step 17, sub point A, here's why this now is the next logical step. So how I would approach selling to each person is going to be different. This is a very simple model where we take these two states, but you can take similar ideas. I talk about a four state model in the book, and I give some other examples based on our education background. You can really take any model you want, but the idea is that we all come from different mental models, different headspaces, different ways of approaching problems, And when you want to communicate with someone, understanding how they do that problem solving, how they think about things, lets you communicate, change your communication really to that style to communicate more effectively.
0: Yeah, the way I have taught it over the years, because for some in some strange reason, the Project Management Institute has allowed me to write a column each month for about nine years now. Uh, And it almost always is focused on leadership and communications, is that when you're making, when you're communicating, it's not for you. It's for the person on the other end. And I try to hammer that point home. So what you need from the communications is only for the person to understand you. And so you absolutely have to put yourself in the other person's shoes so that you can shift the lens back to have them see the world through your eyes in their language. And I, you know, and, and... you know, if you can keep that image in your head, it really, really changes the way you communicate. Because I know it's done the same thing for me. Because I probably fall on that right brain thing when you were talking about the 17 slides. I was like, I'm lost by slide two, no doubt about <laughs> it. No, I mean, not, not even. I probably don't even get to slide two, to be honest. But it, and it's a but it's a great idea to keep in mind. Now another another core aspect of this, and this is one that like I probably could have, we could have a whole conversation about uh, several is negotiation. Um, because I think that negotiation gets built up in people's heads as this really bad thing or this really scary concept, or um, I think there's a lot of negative connotations around the term negotiation. My definition, and I'm going to ask you for yours, of negotiation is basically everything in life ends up being a negotiation. Right, it's um. If any of you, anybody listening, has kids, they know bedtime is a negotiation. (laughs) Dinner time is a negotiation. Um, you know, everything you do is a negotiation, and getting good at the skill is really just important to life. But how do you define negotiation when you're teaching people about it?
1: A negotiation is two or more people reaching an agreement. That's really all it is, and that agreement could be. As you point out, how many pieces of broccoli you eat before you get dessert with your children. Or it could be five organizations coming together to form a partnership to build a new type of organization. And you have deadlines and money and 27 different issues to agree to between them. It's a much more complicated negotiation. But ultimately, these two items are the same. It is two or more parties coming together to reach an agreement.
0: And to put a little bit of, um, I want to highlight the importance of this because, and because we used a great example the first time, which I want to hope to recreate the magic of this one before. But you gave the example of a young lady who was starting out in her maybe first or second job in her career, and she had a chance to um, negotiate her salary. And I think the example you used was, you know, if the first. Um, Negotiation so it, salary goes up to like, you know, $5,000. It's not just $5,000. Now it it has all these exponential impacts over her career. Can you explain why, you know, this idea that negotiating your salary is, could be like a million dollar decision?
1: Yeah. Let's, let's take that example. You have a young woman, she's right out of school. She's 23 years old, and gets a job offer for $50,000. But she learned a little about negotiations. She read just a single book on it, took a class, listened to a couple podcasts. So we're not talking about a world-class negotiator. She's not solving the Middle East. But she just knows a little about negotiation. So instead of saying, I'll take the 50, she negotiates the job, and she gets $51,000, a $1,000 raise. So that's a very small amount. That sounds pretty doable. If she does nothing else in her career, she spends the next 40 years sitting in this one job. She's earned $1,000 more for the next 40 years, right? One five-minute simple negotiation just earned her $40,000. But of course, we know she's not going to sit in this job for 40 years. She's going to get raises. She's going to get promotions. She's going to have other jobs. And she's going to get more than just $1,000 each job. By learning to negotiate, she is going to add tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars to her lifetime earnings. Again, not being the world's greatest negotiator, just doing a little bit better. When you think about it this way, everyone right now, today, should be saying, I'm going to go spend $30 on a book hundred dollars on a course. I'm going to listen to some blog posts. I'm going to spend the time and money because I'm going to make that back literally in my first negotiation. Now, of course, this example was just about salary. When negotiating compensation, it's a lot more than just salary. And to your point, there's more to life than just that type of negotiation. We negotiate not only with customers and suppliers and partners, We negotiate with our coworkers all the time as we work on projects and divide it up. We negotiate with our spouses and children. We negotiate when we buy and sell houses. Negotiation, you mentioned we're using it all the time, monthly if not weekly or daily. And so being better at negotiation, it's not necessarily all going to say, boom, here's $1,000 more, but it's going to lead to better, more valuable outcomes even if they're not always linearly measured in dollars.
0: And I think that's like a really great thing to highlight. In my house, across the family, I get called to negotiate any kind of new car or any kind of new big purchase uh, for whatever reason. But the skills, they're all all of these things. So the networking, the leadership, the negotiation, they're all cumulative, right? They all just build one on top of the other and they all – intertwine and connect in a way that really helps you invent a career for yourself that is much more valuable than would be if you just left things to chance it, Or am I missing something?
1: No, absolutely right. Now with net with negotiations, it's so clear that you say, oh look, I negotiated and got a thousand dollars more, right We see that immediate response. It's not as obvious with these other skills that someone says, oh, you're a better leader, here's a $1,000 more. It's not going to be quite so direct. But when we become a better leader, and just like with the negotiations, it's not about being the best leader in the world, it's about getting just a little bit better or a better networker or a better communicator or any of the skills in the book. As you get slightly better, it's going to lead to more opportunities. It's going to lead to better outcomes. And over time, these will add up and deliver more value. Some of that will be in compensation. Some of it might be just in better jobs, more enjoyable jobs, bigger challenges. But all of these skills, by just getting a little bit better, you are going to get massive returns throughout your career. And then, of course, these skills all reinforce each other. A good leader knows how to negotiate. A good negotiator knows how to communicate well. So as you take each of these skills and put them together, you're going to gain even more value from them. And all of this comes from just investing a little bit of time early on. And even if you're in your 40s or 50s, you still have a decade or two to go. Invest in that time now because you're still going to get far positive returns from the small amount of time and money it takes to invest in this.
0: Yeah. No, it it, is a great idea. I I mean – you know like you talked about $30 for the book, $100 for the course. I mean, all of these investments, you know, in improving yourself are extremely valuable. I mean, like you said, you laid out 10 ideas in your book of things. It's not a complete list by any stretch of the imagination of ways that you can improve yourself. It's the great thing about the book is that it gives people a framework for how to approach um personal development and professional development because I I feel like they're all so closely intertwined. And one idea that you brought up here um, in our previous conversation that I didn't get a chance to highlight until I flipped back furiously after I muted my mic to find the notes was this idea of don't just confine yourself to using these skills in one group. It's super important to broaden the network of experiences and people and situations that you put yourself into. And that way that you get a chance, I mean, now I'm going to editorialize on my end, is, you know, so that you have a chance to use the ideas of communications and leadership and negotiation and all of these other great things in all these different environments. Because it makes you a better person, a better professional in every aspect of your life if you expose yourself to just tons and tons of different people and environments and experiences. Um, Am I overstepping my boundaries with that observation?
1: No, this goes back to how we began the conversation and how we teach this at MIT and how top business schools have taught this, which is through peer learning, because you can't simply read the book and say, well, now I know it all, right? You can't learn to play baseball or the cello just by reading a book. You have to go and practice. You have to practice these skills. But here you can do a little bit almost by proxy, right? You don't have to play an actual baseball game. You could play just a scrimmage. You could run drills, right? You could just practice on the cello instead of doing only concerts. So the same thing is true here. What you want to do is create a peer learning group. And then you can take content, and I'll explain how you can do this. There's a free download on the website that shows how you can create these groups. I recommend small groups of around six to eight people, but you can do this groups of 20, groups of 80. You can do this within your current company or organization. If you're not part of one or they're not supportive, go find friends or colleagues, go create a local meetup group, put folks together, say, okay, we're going to look at these different topics. So, for example, you can take my book, chop it up into different parts and say, we're going to read the first third of this chapter, and now we're going to discuss it, and we're going to talk about leadership. Okay, well, here's what it says about leadership. What do you think about that? Here's what I think about Here's an example where I used it. You're going to explain an example of when you used them. I'm going to think, oh, wow, I never would have thought of applying my leadership skills in that way to that situation, right? And instead of waiting for me to have that opportunity, I can learn about it from you, hearing about how you negotiated something, how you communicated. I'm going to learn from your experiences, and you're going to learn from mine. Now, just so this doesn't come off as, great, Mark's just trying to sell his book into you know, six of my other friends, Feel free to download this and not use my book if you don't want to. You can use many of the other great books I list on my website. Any other business book that you love, you can use articles. You can use videos. You can use great podcasts like this one. Take your group, listen to this podcast each and every week, and discuss the episode and discuss what you've learned in the episode and how you've applied it well or poorly and learn from each other. It is that peer learning. That is going to help you accelerate your development far more than if you learn on your own. So whether you use my book or not, go create these peer learning groups and learn from each other.
0: Yeah, let, let me touch on this app one more t- uh, because it's a really unique thing that you've done. And the way you described it to me before was ni- people forget ninety percent of the book, and wh- you've created an app which. I'm sure that every book marketer in the world would be like, going, what are you doing? Putting almost all the book on an app. Uh, explain to us why the app matters and how the app reinforces the peer learning, uh, the reading of the book, and all these key lessons that you have. Because I think the app thing is really, really cool. And it's like a really good resource for people.
1: When I was looking at the book and thinking about how I could deliver more value to the customers, I thought back to my experiences teaching, my experiences in digital media, and realized we need to help people retain the knowledge. Because as you said, whenever I read a book, I forget most of it within a few weeks, right? We move on to another book, onto other things in our life. So how can I increase that retention? Now, we know there's lots of research on something called spaced repetition. This is where we go and you read something and then you look at it again a few days later, you look at again, say, right before the test flashcards are a very common way to do this. We've all used flashcards in the past, but no one is going to want to open a flashcard app and sit there and, oh, I just read a book. Let me go sit through the flashcards and do a little quiz. That's not going to happen. So I needed to create something that was a lot more passive. In fact, I didn't even want to create this. I figured this must, must have existed and unfortunately did not, so I had to build it. So with the app, as you read it, It's going to pop up on your phone each day, assuming you've downloaded the free app. It's going to pop up like a daily affirmation. It gives you a little notification on the phone. That's one of the tips from the book or quote, just a little something to pop up and remind you of what you've been reading. If you're, say, reading a chapter a week, just set it to that particular chapter. Or if there's a particular area you want to reinforce, set it to those chapters or that set of content. You can create your own favorite set if you really wanna reinforce a handful of things. And so it's gonna just pop up each day at whatever time you set that little reminder. You look and then swipe it away. So this is going to help reinforce your learning to make the information stickier and help you get more value from the book. The other benefit that you get is if you're about to walk into a negotiation, you're not gonna carry my book with you. You're not gonna say, "Oh, wait." Hold on, let me let me just flip through the book before you begin. Okay, great. But my app fits in your pocket, right? It's in your phone. So you have the content when and where you want it and you can use it when, where, and how you need it because the book is just one means of transfer, but really any author, we're not selling you a book, we're selling you knowledge. And if I can deliver that to you in a different way, quite happy to do so.
0: Yeah, and and that's a great point because really I'm trying to get the idea across and I know that like just giving it to you in one way is not necessarily going to be the most effective way to get you to retain that idea because you know with a book and all the ideas you're sharing if people don't use them then you failed at your job as a teacher. And that's one of the real great reasons that I like talking to you is because you know the the value of a great teacher and somebody who can break ideas down and share them in a way that people can put them back together in a way that's meaningful for them has come through in both of our conversations. So, you know, thank you for sharing all of this stuff with us. Um, how can people find you and the book on the internets?
1: You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you can learn more about the book. You can get in touch with me or follow me on social media You can download the free app. I have it linked to both the Apple and Android stores. There's a whole resources page where I list other books, links to other free resources online, and it has the download for how you can create, it's a free download, how you can create these peer learning groups so you can better develop your skills. All of this on the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com.
0: Awesome. Mark, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. What did you think of my conversation with Mark Hirschberg? Let me know. Send me an email. It is my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. Visit my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. I got a blog. I got all kinds of crazy stuff there. One idea that I have been trying to help people understand more and more lately is research. And one of the coolest tools to help you understand where you fit in your customer's mind, how well, you're satisfying their wants and needs, and whether or not you're pointed towards growth or slipping is the net promoter score. In researching net promoter score, I found out that oh, one of the biggest names in tickets, Eventelect, uses the net promoter score, and that their score is a phenomenal number. It's 77, which, to give you some context, is better than the reported score of Apple, which is 72. It's an amazing score. Um, to help everybody understand why Net Promoter Score matters, how to use it in your organization, how it can help you improve your business, and how you can learn so much great stuff from your customers. We put together a worksheet. The worksheet explains what the Net Promoter Score is, why it's important, puts the number into context, and we give you a set of questions that you can use to run your very own Net Promoter Score survey. You can get that worksheet by sending me an email at daviddavewakeman.com. It's a great resource. Uh, Tracking the number over time can tell you whether or not your business is going to grow or maybe heading towards decline. It can tell you how really loyal your customers are to you. It can tell you all kinds of great stuff. So send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com, and I will send the worksheet over to you right away. It's free. It's our way of helping you know how to build a better business, especially coming through the pandemic. Check out my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. According to my data, refund protection rates have increased almost double since tickets have started to more regularly go on sale through the pandemic. That means that people are looking for more security in their purchases. They are looking to gain some peace of mind and they're looking for some certainty. Refund protection is just one really easy way that you can provide that for your customers. So connect with Kat, Simon, Kath, or any of the team at Booking Protect and find out how you can offer refund protection to your customers. Make sure you check out my friends at ActivityStream, activitystream.com. They have just launched a brand new email marketing tool. They've always been known for turning your data into magical moments and ways to engage with your audience. Now they've turned this same tool towards email marketing. And as we come out of the pandemic, the ability to understand and use your data is going to be more important than ever, because some of the data we have is going to not be as valuable as it was before. Some data is going to have more importance than ever before. Understanding your data and being able to turn it into actionable insights is going to be a key way that you can drive revenue for your business, create opportunities to bring your audiences back and get your business not just reopened, but recovered. So check them out at activitystream.com. And finally, if you are li- got this far, you should probably have already signed up for the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's my weekly newsletter that Five Top Stories helps... L- Put a little analysis to these things, Um, some actionable insights, some, you know, all kinds of key ideas. You can get it at talkingtickets.substack.com or by sending me an email at my name. It is dave at davewakeman.com. Put talking tickets in the subject line or just say, give me that damn newsletter, whatever you want to do. Send it my way. Make sure you get signed up. It's free, it comes out every Friday. People love the thing. My net promoter score was 64 this time. Um, you know, make sure you get it. Uh, all kinds of great stuff in there, great ideas as we're re- reopening and recovering. Um, hopefully, it's going to continue to be a really great resource for people. So, talking tickets at talkingtickets.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you so much for following me on the social medias. Uh, Thank you so much for recommending the podcast and the newsletter to your colleagues and your friends. This stuff means a lot to me. I'm glad that I can be a resource for people. Um, You know, and until next time, thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Okay, take care.